0: what's going on guys this is the passive wealth strategies podcast thank you for tuning in today our guest is travis watts travis is a full-time passive investor but he wasn't always a full-time passive investor he used to be an active investor and today we're going to talk about his story to becoming a full-time passive investor through the fire movement through working hard through pursuing higher income and, and really you know going through the ringer, this guy put in the work and he still puts in the work. We were we recorded this at 7 a.m. my time Eastern, and he lives in Denver, so it was 5 a.m. his time. He's a full time passive investor, still getting up at 5 a.m. That's incredible. He has also taken on you know new gigs in the uh, real estate syndication industry. So even though he's a full-time passive investor, he's still working hard and and just hustling, putting in the time. So today we're gonna go through lessons that he learned through the FIRE movement, what the work that he did to become a full-time passive investor, what he's doing moving forward through, you know, all of these economic tough times and uh, just uh, so many great lessons. This guy's really sharp, Had a great time talking with them, and you're going to have a great time listening. You're going to learn so much today. So, thanks for tuning in. For those of you who do not know, I'm your host, Taylor Lode. I'm a real estate investor, real estate syndicator. I buy real estate with passive investors and share the return. Happy to be talking with you today here. I hope you're doing well throughout these economic and pandemic tough times. Thank you for tuning in once again, without any further delay here is our interview with our guest, Travis Watts, from Ashcroft Capital. Travis, thank you for joining us today.
1: Oh, sorry. Hey, we're going. I'm here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thanks for having me.
0: <laughs> I know you're here. We've been talking for a little while, so that's that's great. So, f- for the folks out there who don't know about your story, you know, can you tell us about Travis before we get into uh, talking about what we're going to talk about?
1: Oh, man. Crazy background, but... Uh went to uh went to school for uh audio production live show production wanted to basically be a sound mixer and travel with bands and things like that i was a drummer in a band i was a singer in a band so uh started out kind of on the music path ended up uh working for uh walt disney world which was a crazy uh transition and um you know, wasn't getting paid enough there, wanted to get involved with real estate. So ended up taking on an oil field job where I worked 98-hour uh, work weeks in the States for many years, uh, away from home mostly, as I kind of got into single-family homes. And I did some fix and flips, some buy and holds, some vacation rentals. I did house hacking. I did the Burr strategy. I did a lot of stuff actively uh, on the side of working You know those 98 hour work weeks so it quickly became an unscalable model uh it quickly started closing in on me to where you know i didn't see a future in doing that particular model so i had to go back to the drawing board get uh, educated again and find a passive path to real estate which led me to uh, apartment syndications And as I started selling off my single family portfolio, getting more into the passive uh, multifamily, I uh, shifted gears and I left the oil field career to pursue work that was more meaningful to me, things that I actually was interested in and wanted to learn. Went to go work for a large uh, brokerage firm, um, you know, got a series 7 and 63 license and thought I wanted to, to kind of do stocks, bonds, mutual funds, and I guess my thinking with that was if if I had real estate down and then I had that down, I would be some kind of financial guru. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And uh, didn't really pan out quite that way. So went to go work for um, a small syndication group to kind of learn how multifamily works from the inside out. And uh, that kind of led me to working with Ashcroft Capital, which I had been investing with for many years. So now I kind of work in an in, in investor relations capacity where I do a lot of live events and speaking engagements and I just help people understand passive income and um, I'm a huge advocate for self-education and just kind of spreading the word on what syndication is all about and you know who that might be right for and that kind of takes us up through today.
0: Nice. Nice. And you're still, you're in, you're in Denver. We're talking at 5am Denver time, -time (laughs) full-time passive investor, still getting up early on on good Friday. So good for you. You're a hard worker. So, you know, I recognize you for that. (laughs) (laughs) Making the transition from active to passive investing is really, you know, what a lot of people have in mind, you know, they, they want to build that passive income. That's what we're all about here. So, you know, what was that like? I mean, it's it's kind of the the, the holy land, right? It's what you're there for. Um, but it almost sounds like you didn't, when you were in the process of making that transition, you might not have even realized that that was pretty immediately ahead of you. Is that right?
1: Yeah, it's kind of funny, right? Because I read a lot of the books that most people probably read when they get in to real estate, I read Rich Dad Poor Dad and, you know, Cash Flow Quadrant and all this kind of stuff. I started realizing the power of being an investor and being passive, but I didn't exactly know how to get there. I didn't have a mentor. I didn't have a lot of great resources, uh, to be honest with you, to, to go by. I just kind of was trying to figure it out on my own. And in hindsight, looking back, it's like, why was I doing fix and flips? And why was I doing vacation rental? Like the this stuff wasn't passive. And I did have a goal of being passive. So it just took that extra push of education to, you know, kind of open the light, so to speak, <laughs> you know, so that I could get involved with, with that stuff. And um, my, my big pivotal uh, year was uh, 2015. I set out. This is where I was kind of having this—this this, uh, not really a breakdown, but you know, I was realizing that single family wasn't gonna wasn't gonna be my thing, and I didn't know what to do. Uh, so I made a goal that year. I've always been a reader. I love books, and I made a goal to read 52 books in 2015. So that's one book per week, and wow. and I did it. And so most of those were you know I, I like reading uh non stuff you know self-help and self-education so a lot of that stuff was real estate and and things like that so that's where my mind started opening to the possibilities of passive income and i made a complete leap over uh, over the next year and a half into uh multifamily.
0: awesome and i think to to really you know flesh that out we need to know what your life was like in 2015 and we need everybody out there to know so yeah, <laughs> what were you yeah. doing in 2015 with the rest of your time?
1: 2015, so the year prior, so I guess we've got to start at 2014, I made a big shift from working domestically in the U.S. and the oil industry to working overseas in Saudi Arabia completely away from home and without a cell phone. I did have email communication, but you know, when you have, when you self-manage your portfolio and you've got a handful of tenants, obviously things come up, issues happen, and I'm just clearly not there to address them. And I didn't want all my money sucked up through a property manager. So I'm still trying to make it happen. So I'm dragging in, you know, my family and my dad and my mom, my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, my friends, you know, can you run over and collect this check for me? Can you go deposit this? Can you go fix a sprinkler head and, you know, I'll give you a hundred bucks. And it was, ridiculous. <laughs> it was ridiculous. And of course, none of them appreciated that, that time period. And that's kind of where, where I felt like it was closing in. And I thought, oh my God, if I only have this many properties today, how am I going to double that? How am I going to triple that? Or even, and so my first step was to put a property manager over these and all but one i think and i did that and it still wasn't passive because you know i still had to address issues right just you know when a when a roof needs a replacement right i can't ignore that i mean i still get notified of it or or whatever it is the hvac goes out and what do you want to do fix it repair it replace it i mean it costs money i got to make decisions so it, it was making it even worse. You know, it was like having one more layer of communication on top of my tenants, on top of the issue. So, um, so that, that's where I started getting all this pressure and the stress of, you know, what the hell am I going to do? And I just wanted to honestly get rid of all of it. I just wanted to eliminate that from my life. and I want to deal with real estate. And uh, that's what prompted me to start self-educating. That's why I set the goal in 2015 to basically figure it out. I said, you got to figure it out. There's a way people are passive. I don't know how they do it, uh, but people do it. I know know people do it. Robert Kiyosaki does it. How's he passive? You know, so that's where I learned that even people like Kiyosaki do syndications. And so it started really opening my eyes as I started self-educating nice
0: so how did the the fire movement uh, for those out there who don't know financial independence retire early how did that factor into your education process and you know was that a part of your life when you were an active real estate investor or because it's it's pretty big people might be aware of it you know how did that impact your life and your investments
1: yeah the fire movement is a huge um you know foundation to everything I've ever done. Now, now, here's what I want to say about that. I didn't know a decade ago what the fire movement was. I'm not sure it even existed. Mm. It, it did in some capacity, but it wasn't probably called the fire movement. But the, here, here's how to paint that picture, I guess, is I was brought up by two very frugal parents coupons on everything, buying off brands. If you don't need it, don't buy it. Let's go to five grocery stores and buy what's on sale at each one. You know, I I learned a lot of different ways to get good with budgeting, living below your means, making the best of what you have, all these kinds of concepts. And I'm very thankful for that. Now, I didn't realize what impact that would have, you know, throughout my life. But uh, the fire movement for anyone not familiar is is basically this, this idea that You make as much income as you can possibly make for a period of time doing your highest and best work. For some people, that's doctor, dentist, whatever they went to school for. For other people, like myself, I ended up getting involved with the oil industry strictly for the pay. It's not that I was destined to do that, I hated that work. It's terrible work. Anyone that's worked in the oil field knows it's just crappy work. Um, but I did it because it was a six-figure opportunity. And meanwhile, I was house hacking. I was living below my means. I mean, I had hardly any ho- overhead, you know, I was still eating ramen noodles. I made the money. I just wasn't spending it. So I was taking that difference between what I earned minus taxes, how I lived, that margin in between, and I was putting that all into real estate. So it was one property, then two, then three, then four, then five, then six as I kept earning that income and then, you know, I built up a, a nest of equity. So around 2015, when I sat down to calculate, you know, and, and theorize, what if I sold everything? What if I took all my single family homes and I sold them in the house I live in and I sold it and I paid all the taxes and the realtor fees and commissions? What do I have to work with? What's my net worth? That's basically what I was calculating. What's my net worth? When I figured out, I could take that amount, invest it passively in syndications and or some alternative types of investments that produce cash flow. Uh, What would that amount to? Well, what it amounted to for me was the ability to leave the oil field job. That whole lifestyle I didn't like, being away from home, something I didn't see that was sustainable or long term. So that's what I did. And the point behind the fire movement is... When you have financial independence or financial freedom whatever you want to call it time freedom is what i like to call it it gave me time back so now i could choose what i want to do with my time and you know hence the you know the the brokerage thing and working for a syndication firm and all these things it was just self-interest i just wanted to learn that stuff and i had the ability to just walk away from a job and not worry about how am i going to pay rent how am i going to pay my mortgage i didn't have those worries and so, so that's that's how fire played in, and still does to an extent. I'm not nearly as extreme <laughs> as what I was back then, but uh, but yeah, that that's how I did it.
0: Nice, that's that's great. I'm glad it worked out for you. I'm curious though, you know, my knowledge of the fire movement is modded, modest. I, I don't know all that much about it and all the details. I know it's very, you know, it's a broad world, even when you get into you know, a relatively small movement as, you know, as the world is, is considered the fire movement. not a, not a huge thing out right, there, true. but my knowledge of it, you know, is, you know, people go after, you know, buy the S and P 500 mm-hmm. live below your means. Like you said, yeah, make the money that you can, but yep. max out your 401k. It's a lot of the fairly vanilla, you know, yes. financial guidance, and
1: mm-hmm.
0: from my perspective, it seems like you went your own way with it in a certain way, and yeah, obviously to your to your benefit. So that's great. But yeah. any deficiencies of the fire movement that you see,
1: the the biggest is what you just pointed out right there, I, and it's the biggest thing I disagree with. And and here's the the trouble with it is, a lot of people are not real estate folks that are in this movement. Okay, they're not professional investors nor do they necessarily want to even learn investing okay and so that's a huge drawback because now you're left in the stocks bonds and mutual fund land and you, you don't really know what you're doing <laughs> yeah. per se not to be too insulting but it's just that there's better assets to produce passive income and, and cash flow than buying a bond that'll give you one and a half percent I mean there's just there's just better places to put capital to your point most people in the fire movement will get like a like a vanguard s&p 500 index fund with like a a 2% dividend yield and what the what the idea is is that they'll park the majority of their money in something like that so it's seamless and it's automatic right you don't think about it you don't need to time the markets you don't need to even watch the market and so what happens is the, the idea is I'll give you the formula that a lot of people use it's the 4% rule. I'm sure a lot of your listeners have heard of the 4% rule. It's the traditional financial advice that if you do a 4% withdrawal rate on your paper asset accounts that you can theoretically, you know, retire. So, so you take an amount of money and then you times it by 25 okay so so here let's let's run a number so let's say I'm pulling out my calculator. let's say you want fifty thousand a year to retire on. so you take fifty thousand times twenty five it's always twenty five That means you need one point two five million dollars invested, and if you pulled out four percent a year, theoretically, you can retire then for the rest of your life on fifty thousand per year. That's the formula that they use. But in real estate, you could argue that why four percent? Why not? What if you got eight percent cash flow, and that's conservative, or or ten percent? It depends on what you're doing in real estate. But in other words, you can get there a lot quicker, a lot faster, depending on your risk tolerance and method. So,
0: interesting. Yeah, I think uh, I don't. I don't mean to talk too much smack about the fire movement. I mean, I own, you know, the S and P five hundred, and you know, I, I don't think it's a. I don't think it's a bad thing. I think mm-hmm. it's um, yeah. Uh, there are a lot of good uh, things in there in terms of automating your investments and and psychological. I hate the word hacks, but you know uh, techniques that we can use to limit our spending and things like that. So there's there's a lot of great stuff in there. But um, I think it's it for a lot of folks it, it it's also not going to really produce the return that we need to become financial independent financially independent when we really want to.
1: Yeah, yeah, right. So it's kind of that, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and the fact is, like I alluded to earlier, most people aren't going to go pro per se with the investing world, right? Take all the self-education that they need and attend a ton of seminars and webinars and read a ton of books and trial and error and get mentors. I mean, it, 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 that's a lot that's a lot and and most people won't do that and that's completely fine just know that you know an index fund's just one tool in the shed you know maybe maybe like you said maybe do that but then maybe have you know some single family rentals or some syndications or something else you know to kind of supplement cash flow because uh you're not really going to get a lot of cash flow off something like that
0: yeah especially if uh at least as we talk the s&p was just down like Thirty-five yeah. percent two weeks ago, and then uh, yeah,
1: yeah.
0: old Jay Powell turned on the printers, and it's back up. But we'll see how long right. that lasts. Now, right. um, you know, we're we're being a little bit uh, if you if everybody will pardon the nerdy reference, but we're being kind of tricksy Hobbitses in that you're a passive investor full time, but you're not retired, and you're a young mm-hmm. guy. So you, yeah. you know, what are you going to do for the rest of your life? You're right. you're working with a syndicator now. And, you know, tell us about that experience and, and what that's been like, why you decided to do that rather than going and sitting on the beach. Like I said at the top of the interview, it's 5 a.m. your time. You're crazy. Who's going to retire and get up at 5 a.m.? So, you know, tell us about what you're doing and what gets you up so early.
1: You got to love what you do, man. That's what it comes down to. So as you just pointed out, you know, I feel too young to retire. You know, what am I supposed to do? I'm not going to go live in a retirement home. I'm not going to go play golf for the rest of my life. Like it's just the traditional retirement stuff doesn't apply to me. So instead of being lazy and just sitting around and doing nothing, which I could do, uh, I I just, I want to stay active. I want to be proactively giving back. I want to be doing what I can do. Uh, and it's not about the money, though. It, it's just about helping others. What I found most impactful right now in my life is to take something that's, that's benefited me, my family, my wife, okay, and, and to share that uh, model, that strategy, that formula with other people. So I do it a lot at real estate meetups and real estate groups and real estate conferences and and speaking events and podcasts like this. You know, I just try to share what I know, what I've seen, you know, happen firsthand in my life that's made the biggest impact. And so that's what led me to Ashcroft Capital. I was already an investor with Ashcroft Capital. They're a great group to work with. In my opinion, there's a lot of things I really enjoy about their, their business model and their transparency and, being conservative and cash flow emphasis and all these things. So that's why, you know, I'm with their team right now. But, you know, life evolves. And so, you know, we'll see 10, 20, 30 years down the road. You know, I don't know. Uh, My wife and I love to travel. Um, You know, we could very well end up living in Bali or doing something crazy like that, you know, a few years down the road. So I don't know. But uh, this is where I want to be right now. I know that. And so, for anybody listening to me, again, just to reiterate, the point of financial freedom, the point of cash flow, the point of passive income, is to have choices. It's to be able to pursue things you love. For some people, that is travel or time with their family, time with their friends, uh, opening a, a charity, launching a business you could never do before because you didn't have the time. That's what it's about. It's about time freedom. So.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a an awesome goal. I mean, a lot of people. I think many of us want to be able to say, you know, my wife and I could move to Bali if we, or when we want to, we can, and we will, but you know, right now we don't want to, that's, that's fantastic. What's your, uh, your title, your role with Ashcroft, just so we
1: know. Yeah, that. I'm the director of investor relations. So mostly what I do is I work with investors, you know, face to face at, at, at live events. Uh, we have, um, uh, Evans, our other investor relations rep, but he's more like home-based. So more, you know, phone-based and and things like that. So I'm, I'm the traveling guy. (laughs) My wife works for an airline, by the way. So that's why we travel so much.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Well, I mean, uh, my understanding is the perks of working at the airline are really good despite, you know, their current, uh, economic troubles.
1: Yep, exactly. Yeah, no, they are. They are. So even internationally, you know, we get a Pretty, uh, inexpensively so that's uh, we, we love to travel anyway so it's a win-win
0: <laughs> yeah yeah that's great so you know I, th- I think one of the things that's important to point out is we've had over the last uh, 10 12 years one of the best bull markets in real estate mm-hmm. and investment opportunities period you know yeah and it's because we had an, an, a, an enormous crash so you know moving forward we've nobody can ever predict the future, right? So I don't want to ask you to do that, but you know, how do we find the opportunity in the real estate market moving forward? Do we expect it to you know continue to be as great as it has been, particularly considering that when we're talking right now, I mean there are over ten million people unemployed. what mm. you know, how can we really project to the future and and make the best investments? Right now, it's a it's a very loaded question. So I'm not asking you to, you know, predict the future necessarily, but mm-hmm. give us your thoughts on the best position to be in for the next decade.
1: Yeah, well, we, we're in interesting times, no doubt. And you know, I think a lot of us knew a recession was coming. We didn't of course, no is going to be COVID, um, or, or anything like that. But you know, I, <laughs> I've been writing blogs now, not a long time, maybe nine months or something like that. And, and it's funny, because last fall, I wrote um, a blog titled uh, investing through the next recession, right before we any, you know, any official signs. that was the least Amount of readers I've had on any blog. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Unpopular uh, topic, I guess. But, um, you know, I, I think that, that we saw it coming. But this is kind of my focus for the last four years has been recession resistant investments not recession proof nobody's immune to this kind of stuff but i didn't want to be in for example maybe some speculative stuff or some new development or some whatever i wanted to be in like affordable housing some self-storage atm machine investing things that are a little bit you know uncorrelated per se to to a recession right so i still believe in those sectors i still think those are going to do well long-term we're in this we're right in the middle like so what is it uh, april mid-april you know this is the first impacted month of these asset classes to see how rent collections are, are really unfolding and coming in and even April's not a true telling sign we're going to have to get through may get through june look yeah. at what happens with the government stimulus there's a lot of factors going on and how many rounds of that are going to happen are we going to be in a deep recession or depression? Um, so I, I would say, you know, just be patient, you know, don't, uh, what I keep hearing all the time on all these webinars I'm on, don't catch the falling knife. You know, we don't really know where we're headed right now. So is it time to jump in today? Probably not, you know, so give it, give it a quarter or something, at least we'll see where we stand then, you know, and how things are unfolding. But, um, you know, look for, look for recession-resistant asset classes, you know, always, right? They're, they they perform well in good markets. They perform better than other sectors in, in bad markets. So, um, yeah, does that address your question? That was a bunch of rambling.
0: Yeah, no, I think so. I mean, really, people uh, throughout this market cycle as well have been saying, you know, XYZ is recession-proof or recession-resistant, and I think it's Warren Buffett or somebody has a saying that, when the tide goes out, you see who's swimming naked. And, yep. you know, mm-hmm. these things are these, these things are going to be tested. I mean, I own a, a, a lot of um, C-class
1: mm-hmm. investment yep. real
0: estate. And, um, yep. you know, one of the big questions we have is whether or not our, our tenants are going to be able to continue to pay rent, you know, even yep. with unemployment and things like that. And, you know, it's a big, big concern. It should be for all of us, um, yep. but we need to be clear headed about that.
1: Yeah. The other saying is that, you know, history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. So yeah, yeah, you know, we knew we were going in a recession, but who knew we were going to be locked in our homes? You know, that was unforeseen. Um, And and who knew unemployment was going to spike to these levels? You know, I mean, that's pretty unprecedented since what the great recession or uh, depression. Um, So yeah, we're in uncharted territory for sure. Everybody's going to be tested. And, And just to, to clearly paint that picture, It's not solely about the asset class, you know, I mean, you can have a, 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 you know, a great um, asset like a, a, you know, buy at the right price and and have a great tenant base. But what if that asset was parked right next to an airport right now, that's going to be suffering a lot more than, say, a C-class next to a hospital right now you know, there's big differences in that stuff. So there's a lot of factors between market and and the sponsor group and the cash reserves on hand and the debt structure that's been put on it. There's so much. So yeah, some some folks are going to be shaken out from this. And, you know, those deals will resurface and others are going to survive. So too early to tell, but uh, we're all kind of holding our breath.
0: yeah yeah absolutely so right now we're going to take a quick break a quick break for our sponsor all right travis i've got three questions i ask every guest on the show are you ready i'm ready let's let's do this all right first one what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education
1: Okay, yeah, I bought a uh, a single family home out in Colorado when I was doing that back in the day and um it was a condo that was bank owned. I got a heck of a deal. I think I paid 97,000 for it and 2 years later sold it for 215,000 and didn't do anything to it except rent it out for cash flow.
0: <laughs> Jeez, talk about the best investment. That's great. <laughs> On the other side of that, we had the best investment, now we have the worst investment. What is the worst? investment that you ever made
1: yeah i um so i've got about 80 percent of my portfolio in like uh, apartments and and value add stuff and then 20 is kind of experimental so i did this investment out of this investment group that i'm in it was a distressed debt fund and you know i guess the the key takeaway is don't invest in things you don't understand because i understood it to an extent but there was a lot of moving parts and a lot of moving players And I put about, oh, I don't know, 150K of this investment between two funds. Part of that fund ended up being a Ponzi scheme. So it wasn't the people I invested with. It wasn't the people that I vetted. It was just a partner of a partner, you know, in a different state, blah, blah, blah. And so I don't know. I ended up so far, I've lost 50, maybe 60 grand. It's probably going to amount to more now that we're in this unemployment recession but um anyway that was that was that ouch ouch yeah yeah definitely wow.
0: yeah i've been in a situation where one of the partners not my the guy i have vetted you know all that um one of the partners was committing fraud and like well shoot i mean we still made money but it 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 hurts mm-hmm. to to learn yeah. that uh, my favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson that you've learned in business and investing
1: uh being an advocate for self-education, just continuously learning. I don't know how to really phrase it, but you know, for everybody that's different, it can be podcasts, it can be YouTube videos that are teaching you something, it could be reading books, you know, finding a mentor. You just gotta keep learning. You know, things evolve, things change, um, you know, markets change. You gotta just stay on top of this stuff to an extent. And and I think above all, Uh, especially in 2015, man, anybody listening, go read 52 books in one year and I promise your life will change. (laughs) But to not be so extreme, read, you know, three books a year. You know, that's, that's more than I think the average person. So. Absolutely. It's more than the average
0: person. Now, one of the things, follow up questions there is, are you reading the physical book? Are you listening to the audio book? Where do you draw the line
1: there? Yeah, I do both just because of, you know, the time commitment, right? I, I understand that sitting down to read a physical book takes physical time, but, you know, I listen to Audible um, when I'm on flights and when I'm traveling and when I'm in the car and all that kind of stuff. So you can get two things done at once. Nice,
0: nice. Well, Travis, thanks for joining us today. You've had a a great run so far, and I'm sure it's going to continue to be an upward trajectory sharing those lessons and things you learned from the the fire movement, becoming a full-time passive investor and now working with Ashcroft. That's fantastic. For folks who want to get in touch with you later, where can they find you and get in touch?
1: Yeah, the best way is probably email. So Travis at AshcroftCapital.com. I'm also on Bigger Pockets and LinkedIn and Facebook and Instagram and all that kind of stuff. So reach out. Nice. Fantastic. Well,
0: Thanks again for joining us. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating or a view on Apple Podcasts. It's very much appreciated. It helps other people learn about the show. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. Thanks for tuning in once again. I hope you're doing well out there throughout this pandemic craziness. We'll talk to you on the next episode.